This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. again we are back it's time for softball media days on the out of the box podcast i'm gray robertson alongside my partner as always for every episode we've ever done tom canterbury tom we did it again 13 schools 13 head coaches everybody all the interviews were longer this year we pulled it off it's it's amazing it really it really is congratulations to us we did so good uh but no i i I was very very excited that we were able to do this again this year and that uh, everyone was uh so accommodating and and responsive to it i appreciate all the coaches and the uh sids helping us to set all this up yes um and for one you know having gone through this one year already uh trusting us and and knowing that even though we're the Alabama guys that we would be, be fair. And, and I, I thought everybody was really, really open and gave great responses to a lot of our questions and uh, even had, you know, some of our bigger, bigger rivals had some fun with that, but overall um, it was, it, it was really, really cool talking with all these players. You'll hear some jokes. Sure. Oh yeah. People, people had jokes. That's fine. That's good. <laughs> this is softball media days presented by Anthony Sanella realty as part of Alabama beach realty. Every SEC school is covered. We're going to preview the 2022 year. We're going to look back at 2021. Here is the schedule. Are you ready, Tom? I'm just stoked and and ready to roll. Now, if you've seen the tweets, you already know it. But here we go. On this first episode, Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, first-year head coach Karen Weekly. Just kidding. But we make (laughs) that joke in the interview. Larissa Anderson and Rachel Lawson from Kentucky. That is here in episode one. Day two will come out December 3rd. That is Arkansas, Georgia, and Auburn. Courtney Diefel, Tony Baldwin, and Mickey Dean. Day three on December 7th, Florida with Tim Walton, LSU with Beth Tarina, South Carolina's Bev Smith, and Ole Miss's Jamie Traxel. And then day four, December 10th, a long interview with our friend, Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy, mm-hmm. Samantha Ricketts from Mississippi State, Texas A&M's Joe Evans, and we will do our fall ball special then. So we've kind of merged that episode into the end of Media Days. Summer on Zoom, summer on Zoom through phone, summer driving or parked, actually. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. <laughs> uh, some coaches are recruiting and talking to us. Yeah. It was it was quite the uh, gamut of conversations that we have with everybody. We did, and it was cool because you know we were able to do almost everybody on Zoom, so we were actually seeing them and as we were talking to them. And again, just to, to get, get everybody's perspective, it was interesting to me how, because there were some questions we asked everybody, it was interesting to me how everyone had similar answers to some, but then others, they were totally different, but they both, they weren't contradictory, but they were just coming at it from different areas. Yeah. Some of the stuff we ask everybody, conference realignment, Oklahoma and Texas are coming. There are a couple coaches that uh, have 
experience in, mm-hmm. you know, close experiences with both of those schools. And either way, I mean, bottom line, the agreement was this makes the SEC much better. We asked about adjustments made through COVID, rules changes, out of the box being changed and whatnot, replay coming, all that jazz, NIL, and of course, the Tom's Hungry question. Of course, yes. And we got some outstanding recommendations. Yeah, I cannot wait to check in on. Uh, we also talked transfer portal with pretty much everybody mm-hmm. as well. And it seemed to me the consensus there, uh, spoiler alert, but the consensus was it is what it is. And yeah. we, got, we kind of have to just go with it. So that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Some coaches said, look, we use it. I, you know, I don't necessarily have to like it, but we right. use it. And uh, that also brought up another point that you heard from pretty much everybody in a variety of capacities, the concept of culture and program culture and what that means. Mm-hmm. And uh, every coach, you know, pretty much had a good answer for what that means and how they try and facilitate that in their program, even in the age of the transfer portal. And I think if we were to do softball media days and we were say in conference USA instead of the SEC, you might have some different answers mm-hmm. as far as that goes. But like a lot of these rules, um, at, even if the general goal at the beginning was to kind of create more parity, ultimately it's going to just help the, the help the more richer squads like what we have in the SEC. All right, before we move on to the rest of day one here on Softball Media Days, let's tell you a little bit about our presenting sponsor for this event, Anthony Sanello Realty. You can check him out at anthonysanellorealty.com, Anthony, C-I-N-E-L-L-O, realty.com, or give him a call at 251-301-7694. Tom, as we record, it's dreary outside. It mm. got dark at like 415. It's ridiculous. It's cold. I wore yeah. a sweater today, and I'm just ready for it to be warm. And I'm already thinking about the beach. And when you think about the beach, you need to talk to Anthony. He's got great offerings for military, veterans, first responders, teachers, off inspection, $300 off appraisal, 5% donation of his earnings from your property transaction to your choice of charity or local first responder sector, buying, selling, rentals, the whole nine yards at Anthony Sinella Realty uh, for Alabama Beach Realty. Tom, this is uh, our friend Anthony, and we will utilize this at some point because the beach is awesome. It is. uh, I was just down there for the SEC soccer tournament, which unfortunately is going to be the last year that it's going to be in Orange Beach. Wait, what? Yeah, they, they, uh, they have not announced where it's going to be. Are they going year. to Vegas? That's I the only know. thing I can that's, think of. I, that's about the only way you can possibly upgrade on it. But uh, yeah, that is a, a tremendous spot um, in the Orange Beach, Gulf Shores area, um, especially if you're down there, like when the SEC soccer tournament is in October, where it's a little bit off season, but it's still warm enough to be able to do everything. It, it's great. Uh, but even when it's during the re- during the regular go to the beach season, still awesome. So uh, definitely holler at Anthony. Good friends with with him and, and Morgan. So uh, you know they're gonna gonna do you right. He's your realtor from Mobile down to the beach. Again, Anthony Sonella Realty the presenting sponsor of all four days of Softball Media Days. And of course, as always, you know for us, let's advertise ourselves. Follow, subscribe, like. Do the whole thing on all the podcast platforms. Follow at outofbox underscore pod on the Twitter. There are so many ways to track us. So, you know, at, at some point, I mean, it, it kind of gets like NSA level, but you know where we are and there <laughs> right. are ways to find us. Yes, it's not always the best thing, but okay, we'll take that. <laughs> okay, before we get to our leadoff coach, and that's going to be something I address in just a minute. Uh, any more takeaways from our conversations with all the coaches here in the SEC? 
Well, it's, it's kind of similar to when we did this last year when, you know, got every, you kind of go into it. I came into it thinking, all right, here's going to be my order of, of, of finish and how I think everybody's going to be. But after you talk to coaches, I think everyone's going to be good. And, it, and, and I think one of the cool things about what we do here, it's not coach speak. Like they're, they're, they're having a, a real conversation with us. And, um, and I think everybody likes their team. And I think they have a good plan for what their team is going to look like. Now, obviously not all 13 teams are going to end up being, being good. It can't be a 13 way tie. I don't think it's literally impossible. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be end up being better than what their record indicates and would not be shocked. This is another year where literally everyone makes it to the tournament. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something you said earlier, the, trusting nature of these coaches when we talk to them I, I think doing this the second year really helps that they gave us a lot of stuff mm-hmm. uh, we heard some lineups coming from some coaches which you'll get to hear at some point as we go forward our leadoff coach and this is something that you know this order a lot of it is decided by time length of interview trying to balance out some schools so you can kind of hit all over the sec but with the leadoff because I know I want to close to Patrick Murphy. So sure. pretty much it's, it's across the board open to all. And the reason I picked this first coach was because of her statements about the state of the game. And that first coach is the first year head coach at Tennessee after her husband, Ralph retired, Karen weekly, who again, for the second straight year was delightful and gave us so much good insight about her program and her philosophy being considering how long she's coaching the sport. Yeah, and then not only gets good stuff about her her program, about the state of softball in general. Um, one of the things we were talking with everybody about the different rules changes, and a lot of those rules changes uh, came along because of the uh, the equity report that was put out about the NCAA. And who better than Karen Weekly, the NFCA president, who who has been a champion for for this for so long, to give us such great insight into uh, how all that came about. Plus so much to discuss with Tennessee. They've got like other pitchers besides Ashley Rogers now yeah, yeah. that Karen Weekly really likes, plus some returners. Just just a lot to go off of that. That makes me think Tennessee's going to be in a good spot this year. Yeah, a lot of video for our friend Hunter King to be able to break yeah, out. Yes. Brian Rice, it's not going to be a slow year for you. No. <laughs> Shall we do it? Let's go. Okay. Hitting leadoff, the first coach here on day one of Softball Media Days, Karen Weekly from Tennessee. Here she is. Softball Media Days continues as we head up to Rocky Top to chat about the Tennessee Lady Vols with the head coach, Karen Weekly. As I do the counting, 21 seasons in Knoxville, but this is the first for Karen Weekly as a solo head coach after her husband, Ralph Weekly, retired. Coach, welcome in. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Well, Coach, it's great to talk with you again. Last year when we did this, you had your husband by your side. And now he's retired. He's still going to be around, but how has that transition gone from being the co-head coach to now completely running the show yourself? You know, it still sounds weird to be introduced as the head coach. And, you know, as I've introduced myself at various events, functions, or camps, and uh, talked about, you know, being here for 20 years. So it sounds like I'm a veteran, but first year head coach um, doing this on my own. So a lot of this is a little bit new and different, and I don't think people realize the, the magnitude of just sliding that one seat over 
Um, and in my case, going from doing it as a tandem to doing it uh, solo. But uh, like, I mean, he's your husband. He's still going to be around. It's, it's not like you, you're not going to be able to bounce things off of it. No, he's here every day. And, you know, we talk all the time. It's, it's funny because uh, I thought he'd actually spend a little bit more time at the ball field, just watching practice and um, interacting with the players off the field. And he really hasn't. Um, he maybe stops by once a week, uh, if that, but he's pretty much just kind of done his own thing this fall. And I think just wanted to give me the space to establish myself uh, as the leader of the team and, and the new staff members that we have just kind of let us establish ourselves as a unit and, um, you know, just take this team where we want to take them. Well, speaking of a new staff members, uh, one of the biggest changes in I think all of college softball was the addition of Chris Malvo coming onto your staff. You've seen what he's done at his past stops, what he did with that Missouri offense, and now he's with you at Tennessee. What has that addition done for your program, and, and what improvements have you already seen this early in his tenure at Tennessee? Well, th that change has improved us in so many ways, and, you know, we got – Chris but then when I started talking to Chris um, and asked about his family I started to find out some things about his wife Kate and <clears throat> learned that she had um, quite the coaching background herself had stepped aside from coaching when they had kids and really hadn't got back into it yet just hadn't had an opportunity and, and the right place right time kind of thing and um, when I found out that she was available and I knew that I had two openings really you know I had the position vacated by Ralph um, and we needed to hire a hitting coach for that position. And then I had a volunteer position. So it all just came together in just um, the most incredible way. It felt like too good to be true. And um, Chris is uh, an in incredible human being. I mean, he and Kate are just uh, two of the best people you could ever be around, um, but they're both um, workers. Just, they work really, really hard. They're super passionate you know, they've been here for, what, a little over three months, and it feels like, you know, they've been here for 30 years wearing the orange. Mm -hmm. Just the the investment that they have in Tennessee and Tennessee softball and the community of Knoxville already, um, they are all in, and I couldn't be more pleased to have them on my staff. Uh, big returner for you this season, Ashley Rogers, and be in the circle again for you, and um, we saw her just have a, a, a Herculean performance in Tuscaloosa in the SEC tournament. Uh, but then it looked like maybe an accumulation of maybe some nagging entries and other things just kind of, she kind of ran out of gas toward the end of the, the season there. Uh, what has she done here in the off season to get back to hundred percent and uh, what will we be looking for her in 2022? You're absolutely right. She just hit a physical wall. And a lot of that was, you know, she was battling injuries all year. And we just didn't have enough pitching depth to give her the breaks that she needed, um, especially, you know, midweek games and, and even take some innings off her on some weekends. So her innings just mounted up and that catches up with you after a while. Um, I, I think she's made a really big change in um, just how she approaches everything. So, you know, we've gotten to, we've gotten away from just trying to manage injuries and, now we're trying to kind of transform her approach to everything. And, and Ashley's completely bought in. It's been pretty cool to see um, her approach to her sleep and her recovery there, her approach to her nutrition and uh, just doing a, a better job with that, her approach to um, what she's doing in the weight room. 
And, you know, we, we've modified some things, but just attacking the things that she can do to keep her body strong. Um, just her, her approach to some things she wanted to do just to kind of have just better overall, um, you know, mental health, I think, and emotional health, um, you know, just engaging more with Ashley. I think people don't realize Ashley's an extreme perfectionist. This is a 4.0 pre-med student. Um, so Ashley, um, when she goes into something, man, she sets super high goals and she is going to sacrifice everything to achieve those goals. And for her, sometimes it's saying, hey, Ash, um, maybe we need to study a couple less hours and take some time just to enjoy your teammates and your friends, you know, and she's really bought into that. And um, there's just such a, a much better kind of peace of mind about her. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. She's as driven as ever. Um, but she's, uh, I just think she's just in such a better place overall. Yeah. Coach, you mentioned as well, the pitching depth behind her. And that was kind of one of the questions that we had coming into this year, uh, Callie Turner transferred out. So we assumed you would go into the portal and get some names and you did with Riley White and Aaron Edmondson. Aaron Edmondson was so spectacular at Texas tech a couple of years ago. Riley White at Texas showed real flashes last season of what she could be later on in her career. How important was it for you to go and get those arms to add to an already pretty big staff? And what does that staff look like going into 2022 in terms of the roles that each pitcher will have? You know, it was really important for us. And what we wanted to add was maturity. And that's what we got in those two young ladies. Experience, proven experience in Aaron Edmondson. You can look at the stats from her most recent season at Texas Tech, and those are misleading because when you look at her first few years there, um, before the, the COVID year and then before they had kind of the upheaval with the coaching change in the middle of the fall down there, um, I think that's going to send any team into a bit of a spiral, and that's reflected in the team's performance as well as Aaron's. But um, you look at some of the outings she had, um, in her earlier years against some really, really good teams, you know, LSU and postseason play and, and other power five SEC schools. Um, she knows how to pitch and she is a competitor and she is an extremely mature young lady. Um, and we saw, you know, all that history and we just felt like she'd be the, the perfect fit for what we were looking for to round out um, our staff. And then Riley White is somebody we recruited out of high school, you know, and at one point in time, um, Tennessee was, was probably going to be her landing spot. So now it's kind of like, wow, this really did come full circle. And I think she feels like, and we feel like she's where she was always meant to be. Um, and she's another one who, um, just needed, uh, kind of a fresh start and just needed to be in a place where, um, she really felt like she could grow and, and was going to get, um, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of coaching and, and just really try to bring out the, the best in her and, she and I um, had a meeting today and, and she's big smile on her face. I mean, she just walks in the clubhouse every day, um, just smiling and, and feeling really good about where she's at. And I think she has a ton of physical potential. And um, once she just gets, you know, some experience under her belt and, and experiences some success, which I know she will, uh, sky's the limit for her. And, uh, and talking about these transfers, how has the, you know, kind of the explosion of the transfer portal that we've seen here in the last few years uh, where you'll may, you'll, you may lose a player or two, but you're 
certainly at a program like Tennessee, able to come in and get somebody out of the portal. How has that changed the way that you recruit or set up the way that your roster is set up? You know, it's here to stay. And, you know, a few years back when it was first being discussed and then it came into play and then, you know, for a while the SEC still had the one-year sit rule and, you know, a lot of debate and a lot of philosophical discussions about whether is it is this really a good thing or not a good thing. Bottom line, it is what it is. Um, I think there are a lot of situations where, you know, if somebody's not getting the playing time and there's a better opportunity for them somewhere else, um, I think that's when the transfer portal can be really beneficial. Um, you know, and like you said, if you have a need that you need to fill and, and there's somebody out there that meets that need and it ends up being a good fit for them, um, then I think uh, that it, it can serve some really good purposes. Um, I hate to see where, I, I guess what we all worry about as coaches is, you know, the um, kind of the tampering that could go on, you know, in, in conversations and talking kids into, you know, moving schools and things like that, whether it's, you know, um, straight up illegal or just kind of, you know, encouraging players to, to talk to other players and that kind of thing. I think that's what all of us really are alert about and definitely um, want to curtail. Coach, let's talk offense. Two of your big returners coming back, Kiki Malloy and Amanda Ayala. They were they were just so spectacular last year, especially Kiki. I mean, her ability to pretty much do everything, 13 home runs, 37 stolen bases, she can do it all. How do you hope those two continue to improve going into 2022? And what does the offense look like with those two as the leaders? Well, I think um, when you have players like that and you bring somebody like Chris in, you know, your, your first thought as a coach is you, you just want to see that there's a buy-in, especially from your really successful kids. Um, because it's hard when you've had great success then to make some changes and make some adjustments. And I think that was the beauty of it all. And that's why our team is in a really good place right now. Um, a player like Amanda Ayala, who is just a stud. I mean, she was like, yeah, let's go. You know, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. Um, Kiki the same way. And they saw what he did at Missouri. We played Missouri, um, super close series at the very end of the season. Um, but they could see um, how their hitters just all seemed very confident. All were very consistent in their approach. All had a really solid plan going up to the plate. And they were really, really excited uh, when I told them that's who we were bringing on board. And they had their first Zoom call with them. So um, it didn't, uh, there really wasn't this big adjustment period. Um, you know, it takes time for anybody to make some changes that a coach is asking them to make, but that time was not, um, lengthened by, you know, any resistance at all. It was immediate. We know you've had success. We're excited to work with you. Let's go. And both those young ladies are better now than they were September 1st. This year after last year, not even able to have a fall season uh, playing other teams, at least. This year, you got to play other teams, and you actually played a conference foe. You took on Kentucky up in Lexington, and uh, some of your newcomers had a really good game <laughs> against, uh, against the Wildcats. Uh, how, how important was that? How cool was that to see them do so well? And then the importance of playing a team like Kentucky in the fall. 
I, you know, I think it was really important to play um, an SEC opponent, you know, somebody at that level to go on the road. I love being able to take our team on the road, even though it's the same day trip, but just to experience another environment. Um, and we, you know, Rachel and I talked ahead of time and said, hey, we're, let's both treat this like a real game. So it was going to be seven innings going in. Um, you know, we weren't going to, you know, a lot of fall games, everybody's going to get to play. Everyone's going to get their innings. You kind of divide the game up. And we both said, oh, well, let's coach it and let's play it like a real SEC game because we wanted both of our teams to experience that. Um, so that's what we did. And um, I think it was incredibly valuable for us. I hate that the game day two, they were supposed to come to us the next day on Saturday and we ended up getting rained out. In fact, we played through rain most of the time up at Kentucky on that Friday night. And we weren't able to play on Saturday because I was really excited to see um, how our other pitchers would respond, knowing that, you know, Kentucky after, um, you know, us winning that game up there would, uh, would bring everything at us the next day down at our place. So unfortunately we didn't get to experience that. Um, but I think, um, I think it gave our kids a, a pretty good, you know, not, not an overconfidence by any means, but just, just able to see that their hard work paid off in, in a ball game. Have either of Zeta Pooney's home runs against Kentucky landed yet or, or what? Cause I mean, those were just demolished. <laughs> you know, it was interesting because when you're watching the a night game like that, yeah. You know, and they just disappear into the black of the sky and, <laughs> Um, they were shots. That is, that is one powerful young lady. And, uh, another one that, um, you know, we discovered in the transfer portal and here's a kid who's a top 25 in the country recruit two years ago out of high school, you know, and, uh, just looking for a, looking for a home, you know, looking for a place that, um, that she, she can, you know, hopefully get some playing time and, and just, uh, Feel a little bit more comfortable and she is flourishing absolutely flourishing again what a big addition for your program and to add another power element to your lineup as well yeah I'm really excited about you know having that power in the lineup we're still going to have some speed we've still got a couple of kids that can you know be those triple threats for us and and bunt slap and hit the ball um, but what's exciting about even those kids is how their hitting has come along has come along and is getting stronger and you know, I think a lot of people think that, um, you know, Chris's style maybe just hit the hit the long ball. Um, and we never even talk about home runs. It's all about um, creating um, swing mechanics that are going to allow you to cover the zone and um, hit the ball hard. When you swing, that's your goal. Drive the ball, hit it hard. We talked a lot about uh, who you added in the transfer portal this year. Fortunately, the transfer portal takes away sometimes. And Allie Shipman coming down in Tuscaloosa, uh, leaving the void at catcher for you. Uh, what have you seen here in the fall uh, as far as replacing her? Riley West is doing a fantastic job for us. Um, you know, she didn't catch a lot last year. She DH'd for us quite a bit. Um, she stepped in when um, Allie was out when we had the COVID issue. Um, and she did a really good job then. Um, I've always had a lot of confidence in Riley behind the plate. I think she works really well with the pitchers and I think she receives really well. Um, got a really good head on her shoulders, really good energy behind the plate. And 
possibly is the most improved player on our team right now. Uh, when you look at where she was September 1st and where she is now, today we just did um, in our individuals, we had a catching individual and a lot of throwdowns. And um, her, her pop times today were markedly better. So um, she's really embracing it, super excited about that opportunity. Um, we, we have other catchers. Unfortunately, a freshman we brought in um, has been injured all fall and she won't be able to go full until January. And then we actually have one more transfer who's going to join us in early January, Kelsey Leach, um, part of the, uh, the Leach family, Aubrey Leach's younger sister. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely have some really, really solid depth at that position. But um, I am super pleased with Riley West back there. Tennessee head coach, no longer a co-head coach, Karen Weekly joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, before we get to the questions we've asked all the other coaches, I've got to ask about the non-conference schedule. Now, as we record, the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational schedule came out. And with that added in, Tennessee now plays Florida State, Washington, Clemson, Oklahoma, and UCLA, plus a lot of other good teams in the non-con. What went into the decision to go to all these tournaments and play all these really tough teams before you get into SEC play, which is already the deepest and best conference in softball? Yeah, and then in midweeks, we're playing Virginia Tech and Liberty. Right. So, you know, in the 20 years Ralph and I were co-head coaches, there was one season I said, I want to do scheduling. And he said, well, okay, but, you know, there's an art to it. You got to be careful. You got to make sure you don't schedule too hard and, but you got to keep your RPI up. I said, I got it. I got it. I got it. And I scheduled that year and uh, the whole year he kept telling me, you killed us. You gave us the toughest schedule. Um, you're, I promise you, Karen, this is going to bite us in the end. Well, in the end, we got one of the top eight seeds because of this tough schedule. Now we took a few lumps along the way but we got a top eight seed. So he had to sort of eat his words. Um, I don't know though. I, I might've overdone it on this one. I think I just was so like, you know, almost, uh, you know, COVID kept us close to home last year and we, you know, had to give up some certain trips and do certain things. And I was so frustrated with, you know, the scheduling we had to do last year that I probably went the opposite end of the spectrum. I was like, all right, we're, we're going back to Clearwater. We're going back to Palm Springs. Let's get after it. Let's go and bring it on. Yeah. Let's play anybody and everybody. And really didn't think about some of who those opponents might be. Um, I think somebody kind of looked and said, Oh, let's uh, stick it to Tennessee here with Oklahoma and UCLA on the same day out there in Palm Springs, but that's crazy. You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I think our girls are real excited about it. And this team, um, this team, I think, um, has, has a special quality to it. And, you know, if you want to play with the best and you want to be standing there in Oklahoma City, you certainly can't back down from anything during the season. And we're not going to. We're going to go out and see what we're made of. Well, Coach, we've had uh, a lot of changes, a lot of uh, news were the items coming up in the off season. And one of them is, you know, a team that we've alluded to several times here, Oklahoma and Texas, both coming into the sec. Uh, we don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but it's coming up here in the next few years. Um, just your thoughts on, uh, on adding 
those two premier programs to already, as we talked about, the toughest conference in all of college softball. You know, um, our conference is so strong already, top to bottom, that those are great programs. And I think initially when the, the rumor was out there for, what, 24 hours before it became reality, <laughs> um, shortest rumor ever, right? I think it was like, oh my gosh, you're kidding. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, what could you really do to make this conference any tougher than it is? I mean, we're not playing everybody. We're playing eight opponents right now. I mean, you put any, you pick any eight out of a hat, it's going to be tough anyway. So the more the merrier. Um, and and I, I think really probably for Oklahoma and Texas, uh, it may be a little bit of a, wow, this is really going to change our conference approach. Um, I don't know that it changes the approach too much or will change the approach too much for those of us in the SEC. I guess it remains to be seen what we end up doing with our schedule, if we do anything different with it and how we align and things like that. But um, uh, I would say probably the biggest difference will be for them. That's I, I'm glad you said that. And, and other coaches have said something to that effect, but I think that's really, really the case is that it's going to be more of a shock to a team like Oklahoma or Texas and not to disparage the big 12, but there are some, you know, not maybe an off weekend every once in a while where you didn't have to play your best and you can still go out and sweep somebody. You come in the SEC and you don't play your best, you get you can get swept really quickly. Absolutely, and you have no weekends off. You know, we we don't have uh, teams that sit at the bottom of the conference that you know you can just roll right through and know that hey man, I've really got to be ready for these few weekends. I mean, you look at last year; two of our teams get to Oklahoma City, uh, the third from the top and the third from the bottom. I mean, that's the SEC. Mm-hmm. No off weekends. And uh, I will say this, the committee will probably be looking at a sheet that has the SEC as the first RPI rated conference until the rest of time <laughs> with the addition of <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas coming in. No doubt. They won't even have to do the math, right? I mean, it's just <laughs> a given, just pencil us in. Uh, that's what we love to hear. Karen Weekly joining us here on Softball Media Days. Coach, other changes rules we've got the extra day at the world series which is much needed especially after the florida state debacle this past year we've got replay coming to the conference and across college softball the out of the box rule has been changed a bit other things of course but out of all of the rules changes that the committee put out in this offseason what really fired you up what made you excited to finally see that change come into softball the changes at the world series and i think more are still necessary there are a lot of changes that we have been asking for for many, many years. Um, as the NFCA president, I had the opportunity to go to the um, softball championship committee meeting each summer and, you know, present there along with Carol Bruggeman and Joanna Lane from the NFCA and talk about some of these things that we felt were really important to us as a, as a sport to continue our growth, to continue um, just the equity of the sport. And, you know, now they're happening. Um, and then some people are responding like, wow, this is great. Like, this is new. And some of us are sitting there going, eh, these have been asked for for about, you know, eh, seven, eight years now. Um, so I'm glad they're finally happening. But I think there's so much more that we need to do to make that event um, an event where every game a team feels like we are able to put our best foot forward. 
there's no chance of fatigue or, you know, us not being able to put the best nine players on the field every single game because of the way it's set up or the, the weather ramifications or things like that. Um, I think we need to get closer and closer to the baseball model in, in how they structure theirs and the time they take to play it out. Because I think that's all any of us want is we want to see the, the absolute best team win, uh, not one that kind of, you know, might, might get, and I'm not saying anybody's gotten lucky, but you just never want to think that weather or lack of rest or anything like that has played a part. Coach, you're the second one to bring up kind of, you know, as great as it is, we've got a further, you know, we've got to go further to make the women's college world series and softball as a whole better. And I think what furthered that conversation, of course, was the NCAA's gender equity report that came out a couple months ago. What were your takeaways from that document? Because I think there are 12, 13 pages about the Women's College World Series versus what is now being branded and should have been branded the whole time if it's Women's College World Series as the Men's College World Series? Well, uh, I, I get a little frustrated because, you know, Title IX was passed for a reason. Um, and, and I was a kid when Title IX was passed, but probably started to feel the effects of it when I was a high school athlete and then on into my college years and I just feel like now we've gotten to the point where Title IX is almost considered a dirty word, you know, and um, um, we're, we're not in compliance in so many ways. And I don't know that there's one specific thing I would say needs to be done. Um, the thing that I would like to see is rather than take this approach that, well, okay, we're way down here. So what are we going to incrementally add to try and get us to where we need to be? We need to stop and say, hey, look, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX next year. Uh, 1980 was when we should have been making these incremental changes to get us to a position of equity, not 2022. So if that's where we are, then uh, we need to kind of blow it all up and start from a place of equality, not just be inching our way there. And, you know, I think that can be done. And I think it's been proven over the years at so many places that it can be done without taking away from other sports. Um, I think Tennessee has been at the forefront of that years ago um, with Pat Summit and Joan Cronin and the emphasis here on women's sports. And they did it the right way. Um, but somewhere along the way in the last probably eight to 10 years, I think we've just lost sight of the importance of keeping all of our women's sports and, you know, even a lot of our Olympic men's sports um, at, at a more equitable level. And I'm glad you put it that way too, because no one is wanting to take anything away from the men's college world series. It's, it's a great, it's a great event. Uh, but you look at the ratings, the women's college world series is uh, it, 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 people watch more people watch it. It, it should be, as equally a good of, a, of an event uh, and, and get the same amount of resources, if not more. Absolutely. And, you know, with those numbers, logic would tell you that there should be opportunities for advertising and sponsorships that are not being tapped into. Mm -hmm. Well, coach, I, I, I'm glad we've got, got that. We've got, now let's get to the important thing. Uh, on this podcast, we do a, a segment every week called Tom's Hungry. And it's where we go and, and we review where we ate when we were out on the road. Um, and when we come to, to, to Knoxville, 
we need your recommendations. Where where does Karen Weekly, where do the weeklies like to go? Uh, give us our recommendations. I would say Litton's. Uh, Litton's is a, a Knoxville landmark. Uh, it's a great little neighborhood spot in North Knoxville. Um, if you love a really good burger, fries or onion rings, um, some Ooh. of the best desserts you will ever, ever have, red velvet cake. Um, yeah, but, oh, and the best orange cake you'll ever have in your life. Whether you like the color orange or not, you've got to <laughs> try their orange cake. It is out of this world. By meeting it, it's okay. I'll, 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 I'll yeah. allow it in that situation. <laughs> You're speaking our language, Coach. That was that was just a beautiful detailing of everything we would order if we sat down at Litton's right now. I, I can taste it as I'm talking about it. <laughs> uh, Karen Weekly joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, thank you so much. Always good to see you. You're not on the Alabama schedule, but we will see you at the SEC tournament at the end of the year and then maybe back in OKC or somewhere else down the road. It's going to be a fun season, Coach, and thanks for previewing it with us. Well, that sounds like a good plan to me, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Absolutely. Coach. Thank you, Coach. Take care. So that was Karen Weekly, 21st year in Knoxville, first as a solo head coach. I have zero doubts about her ability to make that transition, but just so much important stuff said. I, I You know, we talked about the gender equity report uh, with another coach that you'll hear eventually, and after that interview, we said we should do it again. And it should probably be with Karen Weekly. And I'm glad that we addressed it with her because she had so much important stuff to say. Really did. And uh, there's just, you know, there's, and there's a lot. We could have done the entire interview on just that and never even referenced her Tennessee team. And we knew that everybody needed to know about Tennessee. So we, we didn't go that route. But uh, that could be something we could do later. But just happy to see the steps being taken. But she's right. Like these should have been done years and years ago. And it shouldn't be incremental. It should be, you know, let's take the huge jumps now when, when it, you know, when it should have already been happening. Now we get to the Tennessee program and I'm ready to make one of my declarations. Oh. I think in terms of additions, Tennessee might've won the portal race this year. Now I know losing Allie Shipman, not ideal no. for Tennessee, mm -hmm. but they needed pitchers behind Ashley Rogers. They had Aaron Edmondson, who was so good at Texas Tech. You just heard Coach talk about her. Riley White, who Amanda Scarbo and I have been talking about her for about a year. It, there's so much there if Tennessee can mine the talent out of her. And Zeta Pooney, I mean, watching that fall ball game against Kentucky, we're talking like, you know, she made – she might have hit it into Bailey Hemphill stratosphere. Like, she <laughs> is a real power threat. I think Tennessee added what they needed to add – to kind of fill some spots of need going into this year. Now, do I think they're going to win the conference? Not totally sure. I, I don't really love the schedule they've got, but I, I think that this is a Tennessee that will be much more on par with 2021 versus what we saw early in 2020. I, I think that that's definitely a possibility. Um, I'm not sure if I would say 100% they won it, considering they also lost their number two pitcher. I agree. Uh, so I think that might. That's why I'm saying in terms of additions. Yeah, because yeah. the losses were not great. Right. Because, I mean, one of the ways that, that I've discussed it earlier is like Alabama, I think Alabama, despite losing KB sides, they came out ahead because they added somebody like Shipman. But um, it, it's tough when you lose two players at, at the level of Shipman and, and Turner, but they, they had a lot of great additions. Yeah, so we'll, I mean, we'll they added overall. one pitcher to fill in for Turner and one more. Right. So I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, based on what we 
have seen and what we've talked to about the coaches, I think it's pretty clear that the winners in the portal race, at least in terms of additions, are Alabama, Arkansas, and Tennessee. And that'll, I think, be a story. Which of those teams' additions from the portal can make the biggest impact? And I think it also just shows that if someone in this day and age, if a program loses a player to the transfer portal, it's not sky is falling, everything's going, you know, everything's falling apart. Yeah. Sometimes you'll you'll just reload. It, yeah. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> Nick Saban does it every year. It's the world we live in. <laughs> All right. You know who's up next? One of our favorites. One of our faves. Yes. It's Larissa Anderson, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, will join us on the other side here on Softball Media Days, presented by Anthony Sanilla Realty. ago tom you and i were sitting at a table a picnic table Mm -hmm. at a little city called clearwater and there was a woman next to us who was diligently writing notes that woman was larissa anderson she did not know us then no she knows us now and we had a wonderful chat with her uh, a couple weeks ago as we record this i think that was uh, prior to the only game that mattered in the uh, entire 2020 season Alabama versus Washington. It's true. Okay. Only thing. The only, the only thing, the only memory I have of that entire year. Uh, yeah. And, and she's doing a tremendous job at Missouri. Kind of a, a surprise last year to a lot of people, but I don't think we were very surprised no. at what Missouri was able to do last year. And um, they're going to be just as good, if not better, this year. Missouri improved throughout the entire year. I think we, the biggest question, I went back and listened to some of the episodes that we had coming into the year was the pitching staff. Pitching staff was fine. It got better as the year went on. It kind of let them down in the super regional matchup against JMU with Odyssey Alexander doing her thing, but all youngsters who were pretty much all back. So they're just going to keep getting better and better and better. That's what Larissa Anderson specializes in. That offense is scary. I think the difference is this year, something we talk about with coach, you know, the targets on their back. Now they're not taking people by surprise anymore. Right. Yeah, that's, that's going to be the, the main thing is that people will know what's coming with Missouri. Uh, and then if they're going to continue to be able to, you, you have to have a pitching staff, but you need to have that one mm-hmm. that you can go to. And if that continues to be the case for Missouri. Also, just a reminder, Missouri, Alabama, your regular season finale in Tuscaloosa. <sighs> well, at least it's in Tuscaloosa. Will it be for the conference? Uh, maybe. Very possible. Very possible. We'll see what Larissa Anderson has to say about her team right now. It's the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, Larissa Anderson, joining us here on Softball Media Days, presented by Anthony Sanilla Realty. Softball Media Days rolls right along, and it is time to talk about the team in Como, the Missouri Tigers. Greg Robertson, Tom Canterbury here. Chatting with the head coach at Missouri, Larissa Anderson. Coach Anderson, welcome in. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Absolutely. It's great to chat with you. You're one of our favorites, and we've got so much to talk about when it comes to your team and and what an impressive year it was last year. We'll start broad, but you know, you were a, you, you were coaching a team that was picked eighth in the SEC preseason poll. Uh, we knew what you could do when you had the postseason ban in 2020. That ban was lifted in 2021, and offensively you came out firing your young pitching staff really pitched well what were your main takeaways from this past year with Missouri I mean just that they they started to believe in themselves I mean we've we've been at the bottom of the SEC um I love being the underdog um I know we're not going to be able to sneak up on anybody from here on out but 
I mean, the biggest thing is they they really learned how to compete and they they started to believe again. I mean, this program hasn't gone to the World Series in, in quite some time, but it's it's having that immediate success and truly believing in one another and what we're capable of doing. And something that blew Tom and I away, the standing O that you got after losing to Florida in the SEC tournament semifinals, you know, we were sitting there about to go on the air for Alabama, Tennessee, and that game was wild. But to see how many fans, not even in your fan base, your team earned just by how hard they compete was really impressive. I mean, that, that's one of those those great moments that I'll probably remember for the rest of my life is, you know, how people make you feel, um, you know, knowing the effort that we're putting on the field and how hard these young ladies have worked, but actually being appreciated by other fans and and being appreciated for the product that you are putting on the field. I mean, that's something that we really pride ourselves in and making sure that we have great work ethic and we're playing the game the right way and doing things for the right reason. And when you start to get appreciated by the other fans in the stands that are, that are not Mizzou fans, then you really know that what you do really does matter and people are paying attention. And you got coming into this season, you have 98.8% of your RBIs coming back from last season's team. Uh, a team that came just one game away from the Women's College World Series. Um, so you got a really good core nucleus coming back with a lot of experience. Uh, how important is that moving forward here into 2022? I mean, nothing takes the place of experience. I mean, you just, you, you look at obviously our lineup. I mean, that's probably the most obvious is, is getting all the starters returning, um, you know, seven fifth year seniors returning. So you're, you're not explaining things to people who haven't been there. So they know exactly what they need to do in order to, to get back to where we were. Um, but I think the, the most evident is the experience that our pitchers gained. I mean, we had four freshmen last year that, you know, three had to go through 2020. And I don't even count 2020 as their freshman year because they didn't really get to experience an entire SEC series. Um, so now they have that underneath their belt. So they know exactly what the expectations are, the level they have to play at what it's like in a postseason atmosphere. Um, and I couldn't have scripted it better. I don't, I don't know if the outcome would have been the same if we played on the road for regionals and super regionals. And hopefully we never have to find that out and we're, we continue to play at home. But I mean, to have that type of atmosphere being surrounded by young freshman pitchers, um, it, it could have been the most perfect situation for them. We're going to talk more about the pitching staff and uh, some of the more experienced players on your roster in just a moment, but I wanted to start with some of the new folks coming in. Who should we be on the lookout for this year? Um, we've got a lot of young players, um, a lot of excitement and energy and, and unbelievable talent. Um, the first one I'm really excited about is Gabby Dieter. She's a transfer from Kentucky. Um, she got her 2020 year back. She was a starter in their program. Um, she sat out last year with a, a medical red shirt and also interconference transfer ruling. So She's really technically a freshman um, and she's a junior academically. So we'll get her for four more years. So I'm real excited to, to see her behind the plate and share some time with Hattie Moore. She was Missouri Gatorade player of the year. So um, as soon as I got the job here, everybody was talking about her and, and how she left the state. So I'm excited to get her back home. Um, Kara Daly is another one that's had an unbelievable fall season. Um, she's going to compete right now with Kim Wirt at third base and I mean, just an up and coming, unbelievable talent. I'm trying to, I mean, by the basketball staff here, women's basketball staff and, and coach Robin, she's been trying to get her on her roster. Um, so I'm, I'm wow. pushing her away. I mean, she's that good to be able to play basketball in the SEC. So I'm keeping her in softball and uh, she's going to stay there, <laughs> but she's another one. And then uh, Julia Crenshaw is another one that uh, you're going to hear a lot about over her entire career. Um, another Missouri native. 
um, was the second ranked second in the country in that recruiting class in the 2020 recruiting class. Um, but then there's some sophomores that didn't get a lot of playing time last year that really got that experience that one year under the belt. Shanti, Shantice Phillips has had an unbelievable fall, has really competed in the outfield. She's competing right now with Cassidy Shomo and is really swinging the bat really well. Last year was probably one of the, if not the toughest year ever for a true freshman to make such an impact uh, because you had all the, the COVID seniors coming back so that it was, it was really hard for a true freshman to break through. Uh, Jenna Laird was able to do that. She's the SEC freshman of the year, a very special player. Uh, just what makes her so special and make her be able to compete at this level so early? I mean, she's, she's really ridiculous. I mean, the stuff that she does <laughs> You can't teach, but I think what separates her from everybody else and, and from freshmen in particular, it's her calmness that she has. She plays with such confidence. Um, she doesn't get too high. She doesn't get too low. She has exactly the same responses, no matter if she's going over four or four for four. She just, she just plays the game the right way um, and doesn't draw a lot of attention to herself. You know, she's not a, a chest pounder and is saying me, me, me. It's really, she just goes out there and, and does what she needs to do to help her team win. I think one of the, the cutest things and the cutest nicknames I've ever heard is they started to call her Baby Gap. And me being the age that I am, I'm thinking it was like the Gap store and like the Baby Gap store. And here's cute little Jenna and she looks like she'd shop at Baby Gap. But they nicknamed her Baby Gap because she just has that hand-eye coordination that she found every single gap on the field. So now you'll hear them do these chants that it's baby gap, but it's, it's her being a bad ball hitter. And you can't teach that. That's just her DNA, her God-given ability that she can get the bat on the ball, even on the pitcher's best pitches. And it just finds a hole because she's that talented. I thought baby gap was going to be some sort of rap nickname. So <laughs> I, I, that makes way more sense. And I can understand that way more. <laughs> Larissa Anderson joining us here on softball media days. Coach, of the returning starters, who do you feel like is poised most to make a big jump and have that breakout season this year? I mean, I mean, you look at our numbers all the way through. I mean, I don't know how much higher you can jump. Um, Brooke Wilmus is at another level right now. I mean, just, I mean, she had such an amazing year last year and, and being a third-team All-American and, and her coming back and, and competing. She just knows she has – what she needs to do to elevate her game to another level. And we need that at the top of the lineup. Like that really sets the tone. Um, I'd love to be able to see Cassidy Shomo um, really reach her potential. I mean, she's one that she played a stellar outfield. I mean, some of the game-saving plays that she had were outstanding. I just don't think she's reaching her potential in the lineup yet. So that's something I'm really excited to be able to see, get more offensive production out of her. You mentioned the, the pitching circle a while ago, and, and you have a real pitching staff. There's, there's a, a four or five that uh, can, can take the ball for you any day in the SEC. Um, has there been anything that you've been working on in, this, uh, in the fall ball and the offseason towards 2022 uh, to kind of take that pitching staff to the next level? You know, I don't, I don't think we really reached our stride until going into late into, into the postseason, which is fine. I mean – you want to peak at the right time. And, and I think that really worked out to our benefit. Um, but I'd like to see them be able to go deeper into games earlier on in the year. I'm not, I'm not expecting mm -hmm. them to go complete games. I mean, at this level, it's, it's really, really tough for pitchers to throw complete games. But I'd like to see them go deeper, where I'm only using two a game rather than sometimes three a game. 
um, that would really keep our arms fresh to go, go throughout the entire year. Um, but it's also to, to create a little bit more versatility, um, be able to throw both sides of the plate. I thought that at times we would have to beat opponents and we would live on one side of the plate. And as soon as the opponents made an adjustment, we had to make a pitching change because we weren't able to throw to both sides. They, they went to their strengths. Um, so we spent a lot of time this off season and during the fall to be able to, to command both sides of the plate and be as equally strong. Coach, I want to go back to something you referenced earlier, which is you're not going to be able to sneak up on teams this year. You're going to be a popular pick, I think, to win, uh, but certainly contend in the SEC this year, which is different from what your team has had to deal with the last couple of years. How are you preparing your players for that new, we're now the hunted versus the hunter mindset this year? You know, it's, it's creating more competition within practice and in all, of our, in all of our workouts. It's just getting them to compete and attack all the time. But I think that the biggest difference is putting the, the cognitive aspect into the physical skill. Like we went up and we were, we were free swingers and we were very, very successful offensively and we put up a lot of numbers. But when I'm evaluating us to get to that next level, to be World Series contenders, um, we have to make more adjustments mentally. We have to have a better plan. We have to stick to our plan rather than be just free swingers and hoping that the pitcher makes a mistake. When I look at our team against the All-American pitching, and yes, they're All-Americans, they're great, but we have to be able to eliminate pitches and we have to know exactly what we're looking for. And I felt like we, we didn't do a very good job of that. Um, so that's really what we're focusing on is taking a little bit more of the mental side and having a, a strict game plan going in, having an approach disciplining ourselves to say that approach and not panic and, and just try to just make contact. Let's talk, uh, talk about your coaching staff for just a moment. You had uh, some changes as far as that went, added some, some new people and uh, the importance of having continuity, but also being able to add such a, such young coaching talent like an Amber Pfizer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Amber's in a, in a grad assistant uh, manager position, but just being for me as a coach, picking her brain, um, and, you know, even seeing that our players are talking to her in the, in the dugout just about, you know, different grips. She's not coaching her players, but being able to sit down and pick the brain of an All-American, um, someone that has been there, who's taken her teams to the World Series. I mean, I can't replicate that. Um, but I think the biggest addition to our staff is Maddie Norman. Um, our pitchers don't have an upperclassman to look up to. They're, they're young. They're on their own little island. They're going through the same experiences together at the same exact time. And even last year, as we went into playoffs and went into the SEC tournament and, and went into regionals and super regionals, I had Maddie zoom into them. And we did a couple of FaceTimes and I wanted her to be able to mentor and like, you know, give them a heads up what an SEC tournament's like, because they've never been there. What's the atmosphere like? What is, what is the grind day in and day out? So having Amber and having Maddie Norman being able to help them through that is giving them a little bit more leadership and guidance that they, they haven't had up to this point in time. And it's also kind of an FGCL party with Michaela Transu and Amber Pfizer was there this past summer. And I met so many of your players and Riley Frizzell, I remember in the championship game said, great, you never get super excited when I hit a home run. And then she hit one of a championship and, and turned and yelled at me from the field. <laughs> it, it was fun to get to know so many of your players. And uh, speaking of fun, we get to the fun stuff. Now, these are the questions that we're going to ask all the coaches. We get to really pick your brain about some philosophy things. And we start with conference realignment because that's the big story right now in all college sports. We're seeing the Sun Belt increase, and uh, two big-time programs are coming to the SEC in 2025. We'll see when it actually happens. 
but I'm curious what your thoughts are on the addition of Oklahoma and Texas to the conference and what that means. I mean, the SEC was already the best softball conference in the country. And I mean, can you get better than already being the best? I mean, you're, <laughs> you're adding two high caliber teams, you know, that, that have amazing resources and experience and, and played a very, very high level. So and that now it just makes our conference that much better. Um, I will say I would love to face them regular season and not have to face them first round of the NCAA tournament. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also, I'm, I'm also really interested to, to watch how they manage differently. I have a lot of respect for Mike White and, and Patty Gasso. Um, SEC is a lot different than the Big 12. So I'm really going to be interested in watching how they manage throughout their season and adjustments that they make. I mean, you look at what Oklahoma did last year, and I'm just throwing numbers out there. And I don't even know these, but maybe 25 were run rules. Um, you know, and I, I'm going to say that's not going to happen in the SEC. I don't know. They could come out and run rule 25 of, of us, but it's, it's a different ball game. It's a different atmosphere. It's different. Every single weekend's different. Every single weekend's a super regional. So I think it's just going to make our conference that much stronger. Um, and when, when teams get stronger, when our conference gets stronger, it makes softball stronger um, all across the country from top to bottom. So it's really just putting more, emphasis and more of the our sport in the limelight we've all dealt with something last 18 months that we've never dealt with before with with covid and and the pandemic shutting down the 2020 season and then what we went through in 2021 where it was it was kind of a normal season but there was a lot of of unnormal things that were happening um how has uh dealing with all that the flexibility you have to have things like that has that changed the way uh that you coach or, or that you kind of manage your your program you know, it's, it's kind of like I've gone in waves, you know, 2020, I had to, I had to be, I mean, 2020 taught me that every game could be your last. And we realized that on March 11th, when everything stopped, um, you know, so we, we learned how to play without regrets and that carried into 2021, but 2021, I needed to learn how to be more compassionate. I mean, first 17 years of my career, I, I don't know if I ever had any compassion. I mean, everything <laughs> has just been go, go, go. And now I've, I've had to become more compassionate. I treasure the relationships that they have. I let them socialize a little bit more because, I mean, it, it really sucked for everybody being stuck in four walls and not having that socialization. So I'm giving them those opportunities. Um, what I'm realizing right now and what we've experienced this fall, last fall, we didn't have fall games. So my management style and my philosophy throughout the fall was very different than this fall. Last fall, I could, I could do a lot more development. I didn't have to worry about playing an outside opponent. I could spend three months really taking time to develop players. This year with fall games, it, I felt like it set us back. I felt like we would have some development and then we'd have to play a fall game and we'd go backwards. We'd play a couple of weeks of development, we'd have a fall game and we had to worry about results. Um, so it's making me look into the future of, you know, how am I gonna design my fall differently? Um, so that I can get this, the best of both worlds, have more development and maybe play more games at the end rather than focusing on the results. Um, but what I'm seeing with our players right now is they're getting overwhelmed with their schedule. They haven't gone through a schedule like this in two years. Like you think about it, they haven't had in-person classes. They haven't been, they haven't had as the rigorous softball schedule and the lifting schedule and the travel schedule. I mean, so I'm being way more compassionate. I'm probably giving them more off days than I ever have in my entire career because I don't want them to burn out. And if mentally they're starting to burn out, then physically they're going to burn out. 
That's really interesting. The fall ball scheduling mm-hmm. comment. That's, that's something we have not heard yet. And I'm curious to see if more programs feel that way. I mean, we'll talk to more coaches as we do this, but uh, it does make sense that you don't have as much one-on-one time when you're also preparing for games and trying to figure out how to cycle people in and out of those games versus, you know, giving your pitchers six innings to pitch. So it's really interesting. Uh, Coach, something else that has changed the landscape of all of college sports is the transfer portal. And in particular, this past year, we saw the SEC transfer have to sit out a year rule be abolished. So now it really is kind of freewheeling all around the country. Has that impacted at all how you operate your program, how you recruit? Uh, Are you not necessarily looking to fill a position because you might be able to go to the portal to look for somebody there? Has that impacted you at all? So I'm going to tell you right now that I don't even know my password into the portal. (laughs) And I'm being totally honest. Like I would have to look it up if you told me that right now that someone was in the portal. Um, I don't shop in the portal. I'm in, I'm in a different situation. I I came here and there was a lot of turmoil at Mizzou and I needed to build this program back up. I needed to build a culture. So I need to focus on people and I'm focusing on the players we have in our program right now. And I'm focusing on developing those relationships and then developing the recruiting base. If I'm going to focus on them as people and the culture, I can't bring in a quick fix transfer. And I think when you look at our program and you have seven super seniors and our entire starting lineup returning, and nobody left at the end of the year. They're not one single kid left to, to transfer, and they can. They could go anywhere. And they're choosing to stay here at Mizzou, and all these super seniors are choosing to stay, these COVID seniors. I think that really shows you how strong our culture is. So it wouldn't be fair to me, even if I had money, to go into the portal and bring one kid in that might be a superstar, but she's not buying into our culture because she didn't go through the process. Um, you know, I'm seeing that our, our freshmen and our sophomores right now that they were recruited by our staff. They understand the philosophy and the expectations a little bit differently than the kids that were here when I first came in. I mean, and they're all buying into it, but it's different when you're hearing it two years before you step foot on campus. And now you know exactly what the expectations are and what the culture is that you're coming into. Very interesting. We had uh, also had a few rules changes coming into this season. Uh, Replay is going to be expanded. Um, which we've seen in the SEC tournament. Um, so that there's going to be that. The out-of-the-box rule was, was tweaked, uh, I think, in a positive way. Uh, and also the change to the schedule in Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series. Uh, just your thoughts on some of the schedules, uh, on some of the rule changes uh, for this season. I mean, the biggest thing is we're just continually trying to make the game better. I mean, that's we're, we're making sure that it's, it's a great game to watch on TV. Uh, we want to continue to have people to watch and, and listen to our games on TV, which are going to just drive to the, you know, bigger stadiums and bigger contracts and, and more viewership and more participation. So we, we need to make those adjustments to be able to stay fresh in our game. Um, the World Series one adding the additional days is just huge for student athlete welfare. I mean, you watched the press conference last year and every single student athlete just said how tired they were. And it shouldn't, it, it should be the best time of their life, not the most exhausting time of their life. So that's just continue to improve the game. Um, replay, I'm just going to say it's about time. Like it is about time that we start. I mean, everybody has the capabilities. Even if you have one camera in your stadium, that's another set of eyes that can help make sure we get the game right and get the calls right. And that's really it. bottom line. The umpires want it. The coaches want it. So we need to make sure that we're getting it done. And baseball's had it for how many years? 
too many compared to softball. And and I think what's also important about it is in the SEC tournament this year, we saw the results other than at the end of Texas A&M Tennessee, which it was, I think the last play of the inning, we wanted to make sure, you know, that call was correct, but the calls come in pretty quickly with it centralized. And I think that's one of the key factors this year. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, it's, it's very, very simple. The umpires want to get it right. I mean, we were even joking during the fall. And another thing that some of the SEC umpires we had in the fall, they were all mic'd up. They were all wearing an earpiece. They had a, they had a microphone. So if there was a call that we wanted to bring all the umpires together, they easily could go to their microphone and say, did you have her pull her foot? And they're getting the call faster. Hmm. So hmm. they're able to, to be able to have those communications, which again, you want to make sure it's the right call. You want to speed up the game of play. And if you have the, the ability to be able to look on a TV monitor to get that call right, why not do it? Larissa Anderson joining us here on Softball Media Days. A couple more things, Coach, before we let you go. NIL, another thing that changed this year. Gosh, what an offseason it was. How has NIL impacted your team, and how have they handled this new world? You know, I, I, I love it for the fact that now they're able to at least market their talent. And I use the analogy all the time. If they were playing an instrument, if they were brilliant in math, if they were brilliant in, in English, they would be able to tutor. They would be able to go out and, and, and tutor someone in that instrument or tutor someone in, in math. They couldn't do that as an athlete. They couldn't go out and make money as a softball player and market their abilities. And that's their talent. That's their gift. So now they're at least able to do that and market themselves. What it is doing, it's obviously increasing their social media presence. Um, so it's educating them on what is appropriate. How do you want to make yourself more marketable? What do you want to market? you know, and still being able to stay in lines to what our foundational principles are within our program, um, you know, keeping those, that, those in mind. And then at the same time, it's educating those recruits coming in on your marketability and, and what you're able to do. Um, I haven't had any impact with players that are, I mean, they're not signing any six-figure deals right now. I mean, that would be absolutely great if that, that comes down the road. But I think it's just continuing to educate them on what opportunities that they do have. All right, Coach Trump, we've gotten all that other stuff out of the way. Now we're going to talk about the real important things. We do a segment on the podcast every week called Tom's Hungry, and it's where we review the places we've eaten whenever we've gone out on the road. Um, Unfortunately, we missed the the trip up to to Como in 2020, but it's going to come back around here very soon. We need some recommendations. Where do we need to go uh, when we're in Columbia, Missouri uh, for Tom's Hungry? Well, Tom, what do you like to eat? You want you want some fast food? You want some burgers? You want some pizza? You want some yes. down? You want all of these <laughs> Okay, well, Bush's, Bush's is your best burger joint in town. Okay, mm-hmm. you got to go there. Um, got the, they got the sliders. They got the, they the got burgers the sliders, and, they and got the hot the big dogs. Burgers with the bacon hanging off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. wow. That's the place all the umpires go. So you definitely have to stop there. Um, you know, I have to, I have to say that Shakespeare's pizza is the fan favorite for the hometown. I mean, I'm a New Yorker, so mm-hmm. pizza and me, I mean, we go way back to Brooklyn. So, <laughs> you know, yes. Shakespeare's pizza is the, the hot town, hot place in town, um, for a nice sit down, a nice meal. I'm a huge favorite of Addison's. There's two Addison's, there's one downtown and there's one in the South side of, of Columbia, um, big variety menu. They're nachos. Like it is the home cooked nacho chips. So mm. it's not like the store bag bought ones, like literally they're frying them there in the restaurant. So go with the nachos. And if you want a alcoholic beverage after your, your meals, you have to go buy tropical liquors. It is a, and I've heard, I'm not saying that I've been there, 
Okay, so I've heard from my friends. <laughs> People talk, it, yes. Yep, it is a all frozen drink place that you can go in and you can get any frozen drink that you would imagine. Wow. Yeah. Yep. It's like New it's Orleans. Like any, like my my sister came in town and she went there and I'm blowing up my sister right now on this podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> she went there and she's like, this would never fly in New York. Like, this is so illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we love to dabble, so we're, we'll do it all. <laughs> yes, yeah, Gray, Gray's got all those written down. We, we yeah. will do all of those. Um, I also remember last time we were there, we went to a, uh, a donut shop. Of, I'm trying to remember what the name of that was. It was a downtown donut shop. Oh, um, I haven't hit that one up. Okay. Uh, hopefully it's still there. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But Hotbox Cookies, so also after Ooh. dessert, you have oh to go gosh. to Hotbox Cookies. Yeah, I do. I see you're writing that down. Mm -hmm. Hotbox cookies. You can go there, and every it, they're all freshly baked cookies, like literally right out of the oven. It's amazing. Okay, so we need to just fast forward Tremendous. to the trip right. in 2023 <laughs> to Columbia, Missouri. We are ready. Yes, we'll bypass 2022. Who cares? Let's go to 2023. <laughs> or you uh, can just come up and visit for no reason whatsoever. Sure, that's true. Like, that's yeah. true too. Uh, well, we won't come in the winter, but we will come no. at some point. <laughs> Unfortunately, the last the last trip we had to take it was three different planes and a bus to get to Columbia because we had there was a plane issues in Atlanta. It, it was rough. So hopefully, if we can get a, a direct a direct shot, we'll be we'll be there. Cool. Laura Sanderson joining us here for Softball Media Days, Coach. Thank you so much. You're the best. We were so excited to watch Missouri this upcoming spring, and uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. So that's Laura Sanderson, head coach of Missouri. You know, she said a lot of good stuff about her program. Hotbox cookies, though, probably takes the cake, or I guess the cookie, pun intended. <laughs> Tropical liquors as well. Look, this this was a comprehensive list. Yes. Wait, well, in, in no, no shock that Laura Sanderson totally prepared for whatever question we could possibly ask her, including where do we need to go eat and and uh, she's and and maybe do some other things as well when we're in Columbia. So uh, really excited to hit those places up and excited to see this team and seeing what they're going to be able to do in 2022. I think they're going to be, they're going to be a contender. Yeah. I mean, look at the schedule or rather look at who's not on the schedule. The four teams they avoid in SEC play avoids probably not the right word, but the, the four teams out of the rotation, LSU, Florida, Arkansas, Auburn, you know, it's early and we're going to do our top fives at the end of day four, but you're probably looking at three of the top five that are not on the Missouri schedule, or at least three of the top seven. Right. Yeah. And that's a, uh, a huge advantage. I think that really helped Arkansas last year, depending on, you know, who they played. They had a schedule last year where they could lose a series to Alabama at home and still win the conference. Yeah. Uh, and Missouri has a similar schedule to Arkansas last year. Missouri will have a lot of young bats coming back and a lot of pitchers, Pitching, you know, their improvements will be the question, but the question for Missouri is not who's pitching, and it is that for our next team, the Kentucky Wildcats. Alabama Nightmares, Autumn Humes, and Grace Ballman are gone. We'll see what Rachel Lawson has in store, and we talked about it a bit with her. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear it because this is the only interview that you did by yourself. It's true. This is the only interview I was not a part of and dang job getting in the way of things. But, you know, I'm excited to hear what, what Coach Lawson has to say um, because Kentucky, a team that Alabama knew very well by the end of the year last year, played the basically a best of seven series that 
Alabama was able to get the victory overall and go to the World Series. But Kentucky had a World Series caliber team last year. They do lose a lot, so we'll see what they're going to be able to do uh, replacing those players this year. All right, let's step aside for a minute. When we come back, we'll get you ready for Rachel Lawson and the University of Kentucky. All righty, next up, Rachel Lawson, Kentucky, here on Softball Media Days, presented by Anthony Sanella Realty. We talk a lot about the offense. We talk a lot about the pitching staff. We also talk a lot about some of our favorites in terms of restaurants in Lexington. Coach Lawson, admittedly, not a big restaurateur, but you'll you'll hear her comments on that. Which we, we have heard other coaches say that and then give us great lists. So uh, <laughs> I don't like restaurants. Names 10 restaurants. <laughs> right, yeah. So uh, that, that doesn't necessarily eliminate her. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. And I, like I said, I'm excited to hear overall what coach Lawson had to say because this Kentucky we always talk about them, they're the enigmas we it's hard to even know what they are after, after you've seen them multiple times and it's going to be kind of the same this year because they have a lot of turnover yeah here she is Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson next up on softball media days Time to go to Lexington for Softball Media Days as we roll right along here on the Out of the Box podcast Gray Robertson chatting with the head coach of the Kentucky Wildcats, Rachel Lawson, joining. Hello, Coach. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Fantastic. Uh, coach, I'm not going to lie. We saw you a ton last year, Alabama and Kentucky, maybe too much. And uh, yes. know, I, I wanted to start by asking you know, something that I was thinking about as I was putting together the questions for tonight. What was your reaction when you saw the bracket come out and seeing Alabama was your potential supers opponent? Because I know for me, it was like, God, really? I mean, th- these kinds of things are so avoidable, these interconference matchups and supers. And I feel like we see it too often in the tournament. Yeah. Well, when we first saw it, you're like, oh, you know, you always, you know, that there's a pretty good chance you're going to match up with an SEC team. You don't, you don't want to, you know, ideally you want to match up with somebody out of conference. But when we saw it was Alabama, because we had just played them in the SEC tournament, we had played regular season, you know, playing, Playing a team, I don't know what we play six, seven times in a season. That that's never easy, you know. And and the other thing is, you, Alabama fans are great. You know, you go down there. The crowd was awesome. Uh, even for a COVID crowd, even in the SEC tournament, they were amazing. You know, we knew that if any team could give up a good fight, that would be us. But you know, you'd still rather go somewhere else, out of conference, play somebody. You know, maybe not as is a you know avid fan base that kind of situation but you know it's it's what it is I guess we got to get a higher seat in the postseason so that you know people are coming to us instead of us going to them well besides the potential seven game series and we joked on the air it was like the NBA finals between Alabama and Kentucky last year Uh, you know what were your main takeaways from a team that had a really impressive season obviously a great start in non-conference play and uh, performed really well in SEC play as well you know, we, we just, uh, I was really proud of our team last year, knowing that we shut down all summer, we shut down most of the fall and we, and we take so much pride in our preparation. And so we didn't know how the season was going to go. And, you know, we, we picked right up where we left off and, and that was a big tribute to what we had done in the off season, the leadership we had, you know, people talk about leadership all the time, but COVID really had an opportunity to, to test your team's culture and the kind of leadership you had. And our players did a great job of rallying around each other, even when they were away from Lexington. And, and so I, my biggest key takeaway was just how mature we were from that standpoint. And so I, knowing that I wasn't surprised 
how well we had done um, in SEC play. You know, at first I was a little worried about it. We didn't have a lot of super seniors. We were very young um, and I didn't know how it was going to go. But when I saw how uh, mature they were in the offseason, how they prepared, how they got ready for teams, I, I felt really good about good about us. So, you know, overall, you always want to be in the World Series. Um, you're never satisfied um, when you don't get there. But, you know, I was really proud of what they had accomplished. And and I know we had a great sounding board, like, I'm sorry, a great springboard moving forward for this upcoming year. Well, and it's got to help when you've got somebody like Kayla Kowalik. And mm-hmm. I'm going to just read some numbers. Mm-hmm. 495 batting average, 554 OBP, 23 of 27 stolen bases, 12 homers, 37 RBIs. She can do it all. I mean, it's so much fun to watch her. She can slap. She can play the small ball. She can hit for power. She's clutch more often than not she's a great Mm -hmm. defender and she's got should she choose I believe uh, correct me if I'm wrong two more years in your program so what's the ceiling for her it is so hard to say because um her like I said her defense I was kidding around with her the you know, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, you know, when you were a freshman, we, we could have used the sundial to get your pop time to second. And now she is so quick. I mean, her pop time is ridiculous. And, and uh, here's a great story today. You know, we're, we're doing individuals and, and she wanted, to, you know, she's pretty much at that place where she decides what she wants to work on. We have a practice plan, but she's like, Hey, I want to add this onto my workout today. I want to add, you know, these three things or something. And, and she's earned that right. And today she really wanted to focus on her pop time and her, her times were, you know, ridiculous. They were like 1.60, 1.62. I mean, they were just, and she didn't believe me. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I, I, I have no reason to lie to you. She's like, come on, man. You know? And I'm like, watch, you know, everybody come over here, watch me do this. And you know, her ceiling, you, you don't see athletes like her very often. She's powerful and she's fast. So obviously she has a higher ceiling, but her grind to be the best at not just one thing, but at everything, she's constantly adding new things to her game, both defensively and offensively. It's, it's she's working on something she's building every single week. So I'm not sure what her ceiling is, but, um, I just think she's such an amazing player. You know, last year I was always like, surely she can't keep this going. Surely she can't keep this going. And, and she did throughout the very end of the season. Um, so she's incredible. I, I'm glad that the fans get to watch her for a couple more years. And, and uh, you know, she truly is something special. And you just graduated one of the best power hitters in school history. But I mean, could by the time she leaves, Kayla Kowalik be the best overall softball player in program history? You know, it's, is that too much to put on (laughs) right now? No, it's not too much to put on her. Um, I think the best player up until Kayla was actually Molly Johnson Belcher. There is nobody that has been as good as Molly at anything. Like Molly was like, Molly's the best defender. Molly's the best power hitter. Molly's the best under pressure, blah, 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 best defender, best everything. And um, you're, when you watch Kayla, you're like, wow, she might, actually be better than Molly. And that's how the beginning of the season was last year. And then she just continued to get better and better. So as of right now, I think she definitely has the ability to leave here as the best player who's ever left Kentucky for sure. Mm. You know, there'll be somebody else sometime in the future, but it'll be a while. It'll be a while. Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson joining us for softball media days and coach something else that stuck out to Tom and I during the never ending saga that was the Alabama Kentucky series Mm -hmm. last year 
was Erin Koffel. And you told us about her last year when we did this same series. And she came in and was really phenomenal her entire freshman year. And I think what was most impressive to us was that she was that defensive anchor for you. You know, I joked about it on Twitter that when we came up to Lexington, I had to cross out, I believe, seven different positions because of all the defensive changes in one of the games. But Erin Koffel remained, you know, that that like I said, that anchor at the shortstop mm-hmm. position, how critical is that for you and for your program to have that player that can stay in that spot and be the quarterback of a defense throughout all four years? Oh, such a big deal. Um, you know, we pride ourselves on our defense, obviously always very scrappy, but just to have that strength up the middle is, is something that we always try to do. And last year, even going into our first tournament, we weren't sure who our starting shortstop was going to be. Nobody had really you know, we had great options, but neither, none of the shortstops had really emerged as a clear cut favorite. And, you know, so we gave the opportunity to Aaron and man, once she got there, she just didn't give it up. I mean, she just continued to get better and better. And, and, you know, she did all that basically without knowing how sec play works or, you know, big time power five softball. She just didn't have those opportunities. She didn't have a fall season. She didn't have every, any, anything like you typically have. So you know, a lot of people kid around about the sophomores who are freshmen again, but there is a big difference between a real freshman and a sophomore who had their season cut short and, you know, didn't have a fall and stuff. And, and Aaron was learning at the speed of light. And I was just so impressed with her, you know, her resiliency, her fortitude, she'd get knocked down, she'd get back up, you know, when she didn't know something, she'd always come ask a question. She didn't, she didn't let her lack of experience bury her. I, I just thought her maturity and her work ethic was you know, second to none. And, and, uh, you know, she's great. She's got, even over the summer, she worked so hard. Um, and she looks outstanding right now. Well, and even more so impressive when you consider, you know, like you said, the COVID freshman, it's so much harder, or at least Mm -hmm. it was this past year for a true freshman to break into the lineup. If you looked at the national freshman of the year nominees list, most of them were COVID freshmen. There were very few true freshmen on on that list, Mm -hmm. although a true freshman did win the award, but she was just, so important to your team from start to finish. And I think at least for me, that shows how impressive she was her first year. Yeah. You know, it really comes down to her mindset and, and even coming into Kentucky, they try it, her and her family and her, you know, high school and travel ball coaches, they just tried so hard to prepare her as much as they could for SEC play getting to us. And, you know, they really did an outstanding job. She just really needed to get set in the fire and she did. and, And she made the most of every opportunity. All right, coach, let's talk pitching. You lost two of your big arms from last year, Autumn Humes and Grace Ballman, who had some fantastic outings throughout their careers. You only return, as I checked the numbers, 27% of your innings pitched from last year. So what is the makeup of this pitching staff going into 2022? Well, you're right. That's a, that's the 100-point question right now. Um, right, And we still haven't come close to solidifying it. You'd think you would in the fall. But you know, we have a lot of good options, but nobody's really emerged as that key go-to Friday night arm yet, but, you know, we're getting close. We'll have moments, you know, Kennedy Sullivan has really done a good job and, and she's getting better and better every day, which is, which is impressive. She's such a gamer. She's a winner. So she's right there as somebody who's new to the program. You know, Miranda Stoddard is somebody who, who also pretty much was new last year to us and ended up playing a lot of third base, but she's a very good pitcher. She's a power pitcher, you know, just today in her workout, she was, she was lights out. She was outstanding. So right now she's, she's looking great. You know, Tatum Spangler's gotten some control, you know, it's taken her a little while, a little longer than I think she would have liked to, but you know, she's been great can change speeds. She's awesome. And the, and then of course, 
you know, we have a couple of younger people. We have one from the state of Alabama, Stephanie, who's, you know, scooting over, who's great. And I know I'm forgetting people, you know, and we have two great freshmen who just need to figure, you know, when you're a freshman, you really don't understand the SEC that much. And you don't understand um, things like uh, pitch recognition and, and sitting on pitches and hunting and stuff like that. So we do have two really good freshmen and, and depending on how quickly they learn, you could see them getting some time in the circle as well. So right now we, we just got to figure out who's going to be the best, who's better in some situations. And it might be the year that we really rely on the bullpen and creating matchups and things like that. You know, we, we have the ability to do that because so many of our pitchers play multiple positions and we could do that at any time. And, you know, there's always that threat. We can do that, but this might be the year that, that we have to do that. Well, one of those freshmen you mentioned is an Olympian in La Satana. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's such an interesting dynamic where you don't have the SEC experience, but you pitched in the Olympics against some of the best hitters in the world. So how yeah. has she kind of handled that transition from high school to pitching in Tokyo to now coming into the SEC? Well, mentally, she's handled it great, you know, um, and having I was really worried for her when she get went into the Olympics and, you know, here she is her first Olympics. She's going to play Team USA. And I'm sitting there like, oh, you know, um, how's this going to go? Uh, she did outstanding. You know, she faced Japan. She did. She did. Again, she was outstanding. Um, and so she's I think she's taken that experience being a young person around those older people. And she's very mature. She has tremendous work ethic and she's incredibly humble. Um, in fact, maybe sometimes too humble, you know, um, the other thing people don't know about is she's such, such an incredible athlete. And every time I'm not looking, she sneaks her butt all the way over there to shortstop and is taking ground balls. And with her 70, you know, her 72, 75 mile an hour arm, she really does have an unbelievable arm. She throws it over to first base. And I'm like, you're not beating Koffel out for shortstop. So get back here in the bullpen. Um, so anyway, she, she really is outstanding. Um, you know, the, she, like everybody else though, the SEC is no joke. And, and, uh, you know, umpires are different in the SEC than international play and, and, uh, the hitters, are, are good, you know? And so depending on, you know, she played Tennessee this fall and it was such an outstanding atmosphere and we wanted her to have the ball kept her in probably a little bit too long, but we wanted her to understand what she was going to be up against. And, you know, she got knocked down around a little bit. And what I loved about her is, you know, the next day she's like, okay, I understand now let's get to work. And, and uh, so, you know, she's got a little bit of time left till February, but I, I can definitely see with her maturity and the type of person she is getting the ball quite a bit this year. Well, Coach, I'm glad you brought up the, the Tennessee fall ball game, and I wish you'd been able to play the second one, but rain mm -hmm. kind of had other plans. But it was really fun to get to watch that here in the fall. And, you know, as an evaluator of your program, I'm curious how that helps you, not just facing an SEC opponent, but you also had Louisville and Ohio State on the fall ball schedule. Does that help you try and figure out where some of the younger players are going to go in your lineup and in your, uh, in your defensive formation? It did, you know, it did a little bit. I will, I will say we never promise anyone playing time. You have to earn it. And I think the winner's a long time. You know, some people really take this opportunity the next few months to up their game. You know, some people get a little comfortable, so you never know what's going to happen, but I'll tell you, we, we really, you know, we wanted to play the next game too on Saturday. In fact, the Friday night game, it was pouring. And so we were doing everything we could to keep a couple of our key freshmen who had never seen SEC play in the game. They got beat up a little bit, but it was just such a cool environment. I mean, we had over a thousand fans, you know, the game was on TV, it was pouring and we probably shouldn't have like weather-wise played the game, but it was so important for the sport of softball to play this game because like, like you said, we, we, 
you know, we had great crowd. We had all this and, and softball is one of those sports that I think can, in, can be a major TV sport for women. You know, right now, I think we're probably the best in uh, college sports in terms of uh, viewership for women's athletics. And I think it can continue to grow and grow. So really cool game from that standpoint and the production of it. And I wanted them to see that. And also it was really good for them to see, you know, when you see women that are as big and strong and fast as we did for, from Tennessee, of course, that's a completely different ball game from what they're used to. And so it was just so important that they saw that same thing with Ohio state. Very good this year. Um, they had a lot of returning people, you know, they were big, they were strong, they were fast. And again, um, it was important and we play everybody in the fall. Um, and then Louisville also is going to be a um, very, very good team, going to be better this year. I mean, you're looking at two postseason teams right there. So just for them to have that game day experience that tells them what they're worth, you know, it gives them a good idea of what they need to work on over the winter. And I think that keeps that carrot dangling out in front of them. Mm-hmm. It did look really rainy. It did oh, not it was look awful. like it was uh, fun it was to awful. do the you know, interview. <laughs> But I, I will tell you, ten, you know, Tennessee was outstanding. Their players were great. Pitching looked good. Um, you know, I, I think that they're going to want to be one of the top teams in the league. So for us to be able to see them in the fall, um, to know what we're chasing, I thought was just key for, you know, key to keep us going in the winter and key for us to have a great start in February. Mm. Well, I mentioned the in-game interview because something that stuck out to me, I believe it was Jenny Dalton Hill that asked you about it, was the team motto this year, which was be the standard. What does that mean at Kentucky? You know, our, our team team was like, coach, we need to have motto. And, and I, I'll be honest with you. I am not a big fake motto girl. Like I, I'm like, isn't, you know, isn't a, you know, go cats or till the battles. What, you know, the ones we typically have aren't those mottos, but like, no coach, we need our own. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, here we go. You know, uh, slap another thing on a t-shirt. And that's just not my style, but I will tell you, they, um, I said, if it's good and it's meaningful, absolutely. And, and they got together as a team on their own, own time, did whatever. They uh, showed great leadership and they said, you know, coach, we've been thinking about it a lot. And it's something, you know, we always pride ourselves on, you know, being the standard in the classroom, not only like within our, even our own athletic department, which is an outstanding athletic department. You know, we want to be the standard on the field. We want to win championships. We want to be the standard in the community in character in, in just, you know, athleticism in the weight room, just everything. And they said that that means a lot to us. And then, so if somebody is not acting in line with ours, we're going to be like, Hey, just be, you know, be the standard in, in, so it's a great reminder for what we're chasing. And I just thought that was such an outstanding, you know, it wasn't just another slogan on the back of the t-shirt. It meant something to them. They, you know, our team thought it through. Uh, they're able to communicate it. Uh, you know, they wanted to communicate it with the staff in the way that they wanted it. And I just thought it was just so cool that they took charge and, and you know, acted with that kind of maturity and foresight. Is that the first time, I know this is your 15th year, but is that the first time the players have come to you and made that request? We always organically have something that happens throughout the season. Um, I would say, though, it was the first time that it was that we're adamant about making sure that that happens happens now. And the fascinating thing about it is our culture is outstanding right now. You know, it's you know, our team gets along. Our freshmen are just the coolest. For, I could not have asked for a cooler freshman class, both on the field and off the field. Um, and everything is great. And usually people want to do those things when things aren't going well. But what I thought was really cool about this team is things are going 
you know, going well. And so to, to be able to have that foresight and, and to really just keep pressing the issue when you are playing well and when things are going well in the classroom and, and culture-wise and everything, I just think that was so cool. Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson joining to discuss the Wildcats here on Softball Media Days. And now, coach, we get to the stuff we ask all the coaches. We've got a set of questions. We're getting the opinions of everybody. Let's start with the big news in the SEC in the offseason. Realignment has struck again. Everybody's moving everywhere. And Oklahoma and Texas, of all the programs to come to the SEC, you're bringing two of the big powerhouses in college softball. You know, people focus on this from a football standpoint. This changes SEC softball, I think, forever. What are your thoughts on the addition of the Sooners and the Longhorns to the conference? I don't think it changes SEC softball. I think it changes everybody else. <laughs> no one else is I, getting a title. <laughs> well, they'll get a title, but you know, you're, you're looking at with the exception of a handful of other programs, pretty much the, you're looking at the teams that are typically in the world series. Now, you know, it might, it might create a situation where fewer sec teams are going to the postseason because you're dealing with, you know, the mathematics of it and all sorts of things. So it might change a couple of programs like that. Um, it, you know, it'll change. You might see a little more turnover in coaching um, at the bottom, because if you're not going to the postseason all that time, so it put coaches, it puts a lot of coaches in the hot seat to win. Um, but I'll tell you, it, it just, it's just one more awesome matchup that you have during SEC play. Like right now we already don't play. I think it's four of a, you know, we already don't play everybody and we're all playing outstanding teams. So I just think it, we're going to own the TV. I mean, you're not going to be able to turn off the SEC because the matchups are always going to be ridiculous. And so again, I don't know that it changes us a lot other than, you know, put some programs and coaches who aren't making the postseason the hot speed, but it absolutely, it changes the big 12. It changes the pack um, because they just don't have as many teams and their matchups aren't going to be the same. It changes the Big Ten. It changes the recruiting landscape. So basically what you're looking at is the super conference and you truly are looking at, you know, for the most part, you're looking at a majority of the World Series matchups every single weekend, you know, and, and I think it changes them. I don't know how much it changes the ACC, but it definitely changes those programs for sure. Well, and I think it also just further solidifies the SEC tournament, whatever that looks like, as the toughest tournament you can play in in all of college softball. Single elimination with a, a field that deep. I mean, goodness gracious, it's going to be, like you said, blockbuster television every single year. And again, you know, who knows what the bracket will actually look like, but it, it's going to be fun to watch. Oh, for sure. I, I you know, I, as somebody, don't get me wrong, sometimes I wish that I didn't play. And they, I love the SEC. There are moments where I'm like, hey, I just need a weekend where we can do some stuff. Because you never, you never like, ah, you know, let me take a, you know, we're going to be okay. Let's go ahead and pitch this kid and rest this one over here. You can never, ever, ever do that in the SEC. Um, with that said, I just love it. I mean, I love that every single weekend you walk out there and you see somebody who's outstanding. It, it's just going to elevate us higher and higher and higher. And I, I think it's really going to be cool. Coach, another question that we've asked everybody is about just simply the last two years. It's been hard in many ways with the pandemic and everything going on and, you know, 2020 being cut short last year being a quote unquote regular year, but it really wasn't because we couldn't interact as much as we have, you know, the past couple seasons and really every year before that. How has the circumstances and just the vibe of COVID and all that that brings change the way that you coach or has it uh, going forward? You know, last year, 
when you didn't have softball or people weren't playing and all they were doing is working out on their own. And it, you want to talk about grind it out. I mean, those athletes around the country, that was a grind that you had to do everything by yourself. Um, you know, and I thought, you know, it really put an emphasis like softball's got to be fun. So, you know, and don't get me wrong. I'm a big analytics girl. I'm a big metrics girl. And, you know, all the newest technology, we own it all and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it comes down to playing softball. So I think that that part, you know, especially last year, you're like, listen, you just got to go out there, fly around, play some softball and, you know, make the most of it. Yeah, The class that was really affected the most last year, believe it or not, was the true freshman because they didn't have anything that teams typically do. They didn't get, they didn't have their lounges, you know, and so much team bonding happens in your team lounge, right? So every day people come in, they hang out in the lounge for like 45 minutes, you eat some lunch, you do whatever. There's a lot of camaraderie that takes place. They didn't have any of that. You know, um, every time we do, we have tons of traditions at Kentucky. I love it. And every time we do one, they're like, I overhear them saying, this is so cool. We didn't do this last year. And I forgot that they, they like missed out on about 50% of the things we did. So it's kind of cool to see the, the freshness and the newness in them. Um, I just think it just, it also sped up a lot of things like recruiting and things like that. So that's, that's been kind of crazy, but overall, it's just made you appreciate softball, appreciate each other. And that might be why I'll tell you, my freshman class is so cool along, you know, along with our sophomore class. And maybe it's because they had to go through COVID and they didn't have real expectation. Their, their expectations of college weren't already set. And so they've made the most out of everything. I mean, they're just so cool. I, I, I just don't even understand where it came from. They're awesome. You know, um, there's just not been, you know, there hasn't been a hiccup in like a month and a half. And you're just like, is this real? You know, it's just cool. Um, so I think they're making the most of it too. More off season news, coach rules changes. We we've been asking for some of these for years and we got some, the out of the box rule has been changed. It is not as strict. It is, I think much more reasonable now replay is coming to the sec and the college softball should conferences choose to use it. We've got the extra day at the world series. There are plenty of other things that the rules committee decided to change for this year. Was there anything that you were really excited to see uh, that came out and maybe anything that you thought the committee missed? Um, hmm. uh, I, I mean, replay is huge. I mean, you know, that was coming. I know we had been experimenting with it, but that that's just incredible. And you can use that in the postseason now. I think that's a real game changer. Uh, it also might help with the umpires, keep them in the game a little bit longer mm -hmm. um, because they'll be able to do that. And we have a real umpire shortage problem in college sports. Uh, the out-of-box rule, I think it's great. Um, I do think it still needs to be there on some level, but, you know, the fact that it's now a delayed dead ball is, is cool and it's a strike. Um, I think that's good. I don't know. I love that our, you know, I was big and a big proponent of like loosening up how we were doing the pitching stuff. And I think that that has been a, a great change. Um, I think we're inching to be a little bit closer to international play. I think that also will be good eventually, but I mean, honestly, I think the rules committee did an outstanding job. I, I think that um, I can't really think of anything they missed right now. I mean, I still pace of play is still a thing with me. I still think we got to find a way that umpires don't have to sit there, pull their card out, write things down, stuff like that. Like all that random dead time. I think we got to get rid of that stuff um, and find a, a quick, easy way to do that. But otherwise I feel really good about where we're at. Yeah. There's a reason the TV time slot is two hours. We can fit the game in yeah. there, but sometimes mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't happen. <laughs>
But imagine basketball. Imagine delaying the pace because the umpire had to run over, take out their car, write it down, have a sub, do whatever. I mean, there's definitely got to be a way to have a table and people who can like move that stuff along. But mm. other than little things like that right now, I think softball is just in such a good place. Um, and, and it's showing in the TV ratings continue to get better and better. ESPN's investment in the sport has just been tremendous. You know, there's it's you know, we're in a we're in a good place. We just got to make sure we keep moving forward and we don't mess it up. Yeah, customary shout out to softball ESPN hero Mega Ronowitz and all that she does to make sure that the game is on TV as we continue chatting with the Kentucky head softball coach, Rachel Lawson. Coach, one more question, and I need to shake off the nerves because this is the most important question that we ask. And this is Tom's question, so I don't want to mess it up. We have a segment on the podcast called Tom's Hungry. It is where we go and review restaurants around the SEC. Oh. We got to uh, eat at some great places in Lexington. I'll, I'll read those in just a minute. But, you know, the next time Alabama or Tom and I go up to Lexington, we need a list. Where are the best places to go for the Tom's Hungry segment? Oh, man, you're asking the wrong girl. I mean, I'm somebody who goes from my office to Taco Bell to my house or to, <laughs> you know, Chick-fil-A to my house, whatever the case is. Um, who I'll tell you. I'm a big, if you've been to Malone, I'm sure you've been to the Malone's. Mm -hmm. Malone's is tremendous. Um, I go there a lot. That is actually on my way home. So I definitely go to Drake's and Malone's as a takeout all the time. Um, I think that is awesome. I think, uh, whoo, you know, we got a lot. The downtown area is super cool in Lexington. I think it's a well-kept secret. I, I don't think you can go wrong in any of the restaurants um, down there. So we'll have to take you. You know, Shoals is going to know a lot better than I am. Because, um, you know, I, when you're a softball coach, you don't have a lot of friends. So you just kind of... <laughs> You know, you kind of work all the time, but um, definitely stick with Malone's and Drake's. I think, I think that that's what you got to do. See the three that stuck out to us. We went to a place called deviate for breakfast. I, I oh, wow. couldn't tell you where it is. It's really good. Pies and pints downtown. At Pizza oh place. yeah. Yeah. Yep. And a place called the Southern deli and tavern with some of the most creative sandwiches we've ever eaten. It was really good. You know, I'll get you that list. We have a lot that are out in the country, so you can go do the whole driving thing. And because of the whole horse, you know, there's a bunch of like restaurants tucked in that people love. I'll have to get you that list. But yeah, I don't, I, I went to Pies and Pines. I'm sad to say for the first time a couple of weeks ago on a recruiting visit and it was tremendous. It was right by Rupp Arena. So it was pretty cool. Um, but I'll, I'm bad. I'm sorry. I could have done better in your segment. It's okay. It's okay. We have plenty of time. So it'll be a long time before <laughs> Alabama comes back to Lexington. And That's maybe, true. It seems like we're always going there. Yeah, <laughs> that'll happen this year. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, as you know, it's so exciting to talk with you, Coach. And I, I know we talked about this before we came on and press record, but the fact that we're talking about softball now, it fires me up. I know it fires you up. I, I think this season in every facet is going to be one of the most entertaining and interesting we've ever seen. Uh, who knows? This could be the, the final time we see the quote unquote old SEC before Oklahoma and Texas come in. So it's just going to be fun to watch and, and fun to see how everything unfolds. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And, and I want to thank you for all the work you've done with this. It's, it's so cool. You know, you guys started out and, you know, you support all of us. And I just, I just think the fact that we're talking about this now in November just shows your commitment and shows how cool the sport really is. Well, thank you, Coach. Thank you so much for hopping on, and we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in 2022. All right, sounds good. Thank you very much. So there you have it, Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson. You heard her comments on the pitching. That, that's something they're still trying to figure out. The phrase not solidified was used, and 
you know, I, I think you can trust Kentucky's offense to do well, but once you get into SEC play, kind of like with Missouri, you got to have arms that you can trust. You got to have one arm that you can trust. Kennedy Sullivan was a big addition from Western Kentucky, but you know, I think with Kentucky, stop me if you've heard this before, I kind of got to see it before I really craft my opinion. Going just off the numbers, though, it's I think it's going to be a really interesting year, and I'm not sure they're going to be in the top five in the conference unless that arm develops as the season goes on. Yeah, and you, they're going to be hoping that their offense is going to be able to give them enough cushion to allow them the time, uh, maybe in, in the pre-conference schedule, to kind of develop those pitching and pitching staff and, and those arms to know where what positions to slot them in as far as who starts where and uh, what what combos you're going to be able to use and um, when you're able to have Kayla Kowalik to kind of start things off that's uh, certainly helpful yes Alabama will host Kentucky that is Kentucky's first series in conference play just cannot get away from it. will it be the first of seven who knows oh, goodness I really enjoyed joking about that with Coach Lawson. <laughs> Just many times, as many jokes as you can make. It really was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It really was ridiculous. And, and I'm glad that, you know, we talked a little bit about how unfortunate it is that you see so many of these interconference matchups in Supers because of all the things that the committee gets wrong, and we have a laundry list, yeah, yeah. this is the one that seems most preventable because – you know, you are specifically not looking at it. That's what the committee says. They don't look down the line. Well, I mean, maybe, do it. Maybe start. Do it. It's, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't be awful to have Arizona State, the 14 overall seed, match with Alabama, have Kentucky be the 15 seed, match with UCLA to look at last year's bracket. Right. I mean, that's, it's, it's so easily, easily done. The, uh, because it's not like you're talking about dropping somebody four or five slots. Right. It's moving somebody up one or two or down one or two it's 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 so easily taken care of it's the same way as you know if you're going to do it as far as regionals go to keep teams from you know being sent in conference in a regional why can't you just look that one slot over in the bracket and and you know change it up that way well here's no sense. here's the problem with it it's probably going to be more rampant now that Oklahoma and Texas are oh, coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the argument people would always say is, well, you don't want eight SEC teams in the World Series. And let's be real, folks, that's not going to happen. No. If it does, maybe once in 30 years, something like that, if the odds break that way. But, I mean, you add Oklahoma and Texas, and it's probably going to be a lot of SEC-heavy matchups and Supers. It certainly will be. And, I mean, and I know at some point it becomes unavoidable, especially if, if you have 15 and you have nine or, hosting, right? Eight or nine hosting. So, I mean, it, yeah, it becomes unavoidable, but in certain cases where it's not, uh, it should be taken into consideration. Uh, and also people are worried about there being eight SEC teams in the women's college world series. You know, the other conferences should get better. Yeah. Now that's, I mean, that's all there is to it. Simply put, well done, Tom. Thank you. That's what I do. <laughs> Shall we take a break and come back for some final thoughts? Yes, um, I feel good because I, I need to know more about Anthony Sanella Realty. Ah, oh, yes, Anthony Sanella Realty, our presenting sponsor here on Softball Media Days. We'll take a break when we come back. We'll wrap up the whole day with Karen Weekly, Larissa Anderson, and Rachel Lawson, and get you ready for day two with some really good conversations. That's up next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. podcast day one has concluded the sun is setting it's three o'clock apparently <laughs> it's softball media days presented by anthony sanella realty the sun's setting so early tom it makes me want to go to the beach more uh, yeah absolutely 
So, because at least you'll get a nice sunset when it's happening at three o'clock in the afternoon. That's true. If you want to buy, sell, invest, rent, all that jazz down from Mobile down to Orange Beach, Gulf Shores, that whole area, contact Anthony Sinello Realty. Anthony Sinello, C I N E L L O Realty, R E L T Y.com, or give him a call, 251 301 7694. Set yourself up beachside mm. beachfront if you will here in these wintry months and get over the seasonal effectiveness disorder or sad as <laughs> right. i believe someone called it on the office final thoughts from day one karen weekly loris anderson rachel lawson tom uh, i thought we got great insight from everyone got insight about the the game and, and the, the sport as a whole and then the, each individual uh, coach talking about their teams and these are three teams that uh, I think are going to be definitely in the conversation as far as uh, who wins this conference, who's going to get a national seed. Mm-hmm. Definitely all three of these teams will, will be right there. I think it's a real strong possibility that all three of these teams are national seeds. Kentucky has a lock on 14 through 16 100%. every year. Yeah. I think Missouri is good enough to win this league. And I think with, with Tennessee, here's the thing. This is why I was such a big proponent of adding those two pitchers because the only way this works for Karen Weekly this year is if Ashley Rogers can go full bore in the postseason. She she was just worn down. Coach Weekly yeah. said it herself. If she's got other arms that can take pressure off her during the regular season and still win those games, because last year we essentially said game two for Tennessee series, that's an L. We yeah. said that more often than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I think Tennessee can be a World Series team. Yeah, as, as Coach Weekly mentioned, you know, there were times when they were having to pitch Ashley Rogers on Tuesday and Wednesday games. And uh, that shouldn't be the case this year uh, with, with the staff that they have uh, accumulated. So uh, if that's the case and you're able to get a strong Ashley Rogers uh, throughout the, the conference slate and the postseason, uh, Tennessee's going to be a team you're going to have to deal with. All right, let's advertise day two. Three good schools, three great coaches. Arkansas, Georgia, Auburn. Courtney Diefel, Tony Baldwin, Mickey Dean. You've got the reigning SEC coach of the year. You've got the newest coach in the SEC, Tony Baldwin, entering his first year as the head coach of Georgia, and Mickey Dean, who I think we're going to start calling the no-nonsense coach because he just dropped some good old life nuggets in this interview that I hope all of you will enjoy. Yeah, I mean, that's – and, again, as we talked about, you know, got got some some fun joking around with with the rivals, so that's that's fun too. But, uh, yeah, you can definitely tell why – uh, people want to play for all these, all three of these coaches, really all 13 of them. Why, why, why they're able to recruit where and, and to come to them because um, they're great coaches, uh, great people. And uh, I think we got, we got that from all three of these coaches coming up as well. Tony Baldwin, outstanding, mm. my goodness. And uh, you would never know that he was, he was the, the new guy on the block. Uh, with this interview coming up. Yeah. He's seen some things yes. as an assistant with Lou Harris Champer at Georgia for like a hundred years <laughs> And now he's ready to put his stamp on the program. And, you know, the foundation's there. But I don't want to get too ahead of it. That'll be day two of Softball Media Days. As always, folks, you can follow the show at Box underscore pod. You can follow me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Tom? T. Canterbury, R-T-R on Twitter. T-C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y, R-T-R on the Twitter. Are you ready to tweet about Spider-Man, the new one? Oh, man. Far From Home, is that it? I believe so, Yes. Far away, I don't know. Yeah, some of the they all home, involve home, right? Yes. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. There were so many uh, when they announced all the different projects coming up. Oh my goodness, just yeah, the Ooh. mind boggles. It does. How many 
how many uh, theaters will we destroy as we go through <laughs> what craziness will happen if we're on the road going to a Marvel? Yeah, show? don't take it personal, Tom. I'm not probably I'm not yeah. calling you to see the Spider-Man premiere. <laughs> I want to actually watch it. Right. Get all and, the way through. That's yes. Right. Not have the theater almost explode from lightning. <laughs> all that jazz. Somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. Right. But regular listeners know exactly what we're talking. Got to get about. that in. <laughs> Thank you again to Karen Weekly, Larissa Anderson, and Rachel Lawson. That is it for day one of Softball Media Days. We're just going to keep rolling. It's going to keep getting bigger. This Friday, December third, Arkansas, Georgia, Auburn. We'll dig into everything with the head coaches of those programs. So make sure you listen in to that episode. We've been working on this for a couple months. It, you know, again, thank you to our SID friends who this year answered like so quick. I could not keep track mm-hmm. of all the emails I got. And of course, thank you to all the coaches, and especially the three we had on today for taking the time to work around our schedules and let us chat with them about their programs. And thank you to everybody listening as well. Um, yeah, I assume everyone has kind of broken it up, but if, if you have just sat down and listened to our, our these episodes all the way through, uh, God bless you and thank you, but uh, you know, we're, we're okay if you break it up uh, throughout the entire offseason. What are you, me driving to College Station? Right, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> people, people, I'm sure, are breaking it up, but we do appreciate you for listening <laughs> at any point, right. whether you're a fan of those teams of Alabama or whoever. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box podcast on Softball Media Days presented by Anthony Sanello Realty. See you next time. Thank you.